0: Support for Boston Public Radio comes from the Trustees. You can ring in spring at Nomkeg in Stockbridge with the annual Daffodil and Tulip Festival. Colorful seasonal blooms April 19th through Mother's Day. Advanced tickets required. More at thetrustees.org slash spring. And Owens Corning of New England, helping homeowners create living space using the Owens Corning Basement Finishing System for over 20 years. More information at ocboston.com. 22nd to July 31st, where high school students learn from working reporters and hands-on experiences.
1: Summerjournalism.org.
2: Welcome back to Boston Public Radio, Jim Browdy, Marjorie and Chef Boyardee, Marjorie, we hardly knew ye until the <laughs> pandemic hit. <laughs> Now in search of comfort foods, apparently people are turning the clock back on years of healthy eating, kicking their quinoa to the curb for craft, Easy Cheese, flaming Hot Cheetos, any whatever else has had enough fat, sugar, and salt to soothe the socially distanced soul. Join us online to talk about this, where the food shortages are and are not. Another headlines about coronavirus in the food chain is Corby Comer. Corby's the executive director of the Food and Society Policy Program at the Aspen Institute, senior editor at The Atlantic, and a senior lecturer at the Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy. Hello, Corby Comer. Hello. Hello. Hello,
0: Corby Comer. Well, let's talk first about um, what's going on with the, with the farm workers that have all this excess uh, food they don't know what to do with.
1: You know, there's this double problem of not enough farm workers to harvest food and then food not being uh, distributed. So a single chicken processor is smashing 750,000 unhatched eggs every week. The nation's largest dairy cooperative estimates that farmers are dumping 3.7 million gallons of milk each day because cows don't stop milking. Uh, Don't don't stop giving milk. Chickens don't stop laying eggs. But the distribution channels are getting clogged and they're going to the wrong places. So it's this terrible irony of fresh food going to waste. And then what's going to come down the line is all these crops that will ripen and there won't be labor to pick them and they will be plowed under.
2: You know, in some ways, I understand that when you're used to shipping X percent of your product to uh, supermarkets, Y percent to restaurants and I don't know, whatever wherever else you might, you know, the, the rest to college uh, uh, cafeterias, that sort of thing. And all of a sudden the world is upended. But one, it seems that these food processors or whatever you want to call them, farms were as unprepared for uh, uh a pandemic, as the federal government was, and number two, as painful as the numbers you described a second ago, Corby Cummer are, is this a permanent state? Meaning if we have to live with this, let's say, for argument's sake, another four to six weeks, the worst of it, is there ability to revise the food chains, for lack of a better expression, so that all of this stuff doesn't need to be destroyed? Or is this the way it is until we get back to normal, assuming whatever normal is?
1: You've asked just the question that a lot of farmers are facing, which is, can I retool my packaging system so that I can start packaging in bulk, not going to restaurants? I can sell to the government that is going to increase its entitlement programs, which is what we on the outside think, oh, come on, just repackage it. Send it to food banks. They Mm -hmm. need it right now. But apparently, There's no way they can do that because they have small packages, they're not equipped to ship in bulk, and they're expecting their markets to come back. So they're expecting the way they package for, if it's supermarkets that aren't uh, picking up, or especially from colleges, as you said, from restaurants, restaurant chains that have closed, they're just waiting it out because they don't want to invest millions of dollars in new packaging lines.
2: So on the flip side, so we have – there's plenty of food being produced and milk and produce, but they can't get it to market. But the flip side of the same story, which is maybe what you were touching on before, is I woke up this morning to read that the largest pork packing producing uh, firm I think in South Dakota is shutting down because of contamination. I think there are a bunch of meat packers who have been in that boat that tons of farm workers are coming down – with a uh, uh, coronavirus. So that's sort of the other side of the same coin. Are we about to have a shortage crisis on that front or, or, or no?
1: Do you know the, this, it's the Smithfield plant and it's right. responsible for up to four to 5% uh, of oh, the wow. stories about the closing have said of the entire country's pork supply. So yes, uh, the stories were starting to ring alarm bells about meat shortages, I would wait to see if that happens because of what we were just describing, the excess production, not enough distribution. So maybe if distribution channels get worked out, that won't be such a problem. But the big problem, of course, was protecting the safety of the workers. Because in meat processing plants, They're right next to each other. They're cheek by jowl, the terrible pun, but they are literally right next to each other to butcher these animals. And they were not changing their production processes fast enough, and they were endangering their employees. So for the past week or two, I've been reading in trade journals alarm stories about meat packers and poultry packers not protecting their workers so this announcement that smithfield was bowing to the fact that i think 250 cases the state's largest cluster of cases and the governor i think told them you have to close so they were bowing to reality unsafe working conditions We'll see what happens if other meat processors do this, what happens to the meat supply.
0: There was a really disturbing story about this woman that worked at a poultry plant in Georgia, this Annie Grant, yeah. who was 55 years old. The Times reported on that she'd been sick for two nights, and her children said, please, please, please stay home. But then she said she got a text um, from her workplace, and they told her they, she had to come to work, and she did, and she died. Um, uh and there was a Tyson Foods poultry plant is where she worked in Georgia. They're a pretty big producer, and you read in these further down these stories that other places have, you know, triple digits of people sick.
1: You know, the the children. I think the children of that poultry worker are going to sue for wrongful death, and and they should. But a long story last week about poultry workers, especially, um, was talking about uh there's no evidence that coronavirus can be transmitted through food um that's fine and it's good for all of us who buy it but the workers at tyson's who get 12.95 an hour max uh are saying we literally work shoulder to shoulder daily and that two people she works with uh one worker works with closely are currently fighting for their lives So the poultry plants are not following the right uh, um, protocols. They're not closing when somebody is sick or found to be sick. And part of it is none of these places have the systems or the programs in place to figure out what happens if somebody gets sick. There's so many protocols that are going on about taking temperatures when workers come in, trying to give them the masks and gloves that a lot of companies and supermarket chains were not being good about supplying. But if they do, what do they do then if somebody gets sick? They haven't figured out how to do that. And the short answer is they try to contact every single person who was working in that store for the previous two days before that person came down sick tell them to quarantine themselves and find new staff that wasn't there for those two days after completely cleaning out the premises.
0: Okay, let's talk about something that's not going to make us feel absolutely horrible. What do SpaghettiOs, Goldfish Crackers, Frozen Pizza, Boxes of Cereal and Ice Cream Sandwiches have in common, Corby Kummer?
1: What they have in common is we want them and we want them now. Absolutely. <laughs> <And we're- laughs> <laughs> we're going back to them. And Chef so Boyardee
0: these- ravioli and Boyardee beefaroni. My God, I haven't eaten those like since I was like seven years old.
1: <laughs> you know, my associations with them are are much sadder. As there is a an nostalgia, and people are going for Cheetos. They're going for things that brought them comfort in the past uh, and Spaghettios. But when I read Spaghettios, I think of this incredibly heartrending documentary called "A Place at the Table." about a woman who worked helping people get food stamps and because she finally worked and was no longer on food stamps she didn't have enough money to give her kids fresh food and so she was giving them what her mother gave her Spaghettios, because that's all she had the money to give. Them. Oh God! So sorry to sorry to ruin your day if all you're right. about to have okay. spaghettios. She- uh, but yes, we are we are having a lot more of these packaged foods because they bring back happier memories.
2: But is that really you know? I, I read a story about this uh, about I don't know about a week ago, and I was somewhat skeptical. I just figured it was an anecdotal kind of thing. But the last time I was at Star Market, I went in an afternoon when there's virtually nobody there. And I walk in, and almost as if, this is true, Marjorie, even and Corby, even as if my arm is not connected to my body, I'm walking down an aisle, and what did I pick up? Broadcast corned beef hash, which is probably my most common dinner. Broadcast is a brand in a can for those who don't. I'm not uh, kidding. I literally wasn't even thinking about doing it. I guess part of my head saw it, and I pulled it out. And so, is that the theory here? Is that those were when we were kids, we felt safer and whatever. And so, we're returning to that. Is that the thesis as to why we're eating this crap?
1: Little did you know you had a prehensile arm. <laughs> <which found itself laughs> no, it was like that. Reaching for the Prego pasta. Sauce, it was, but is that really 52%? And goldfish, 23% since this began. Yes, I do think people, they don't want to think about food prep. They can't deal with it. They have to keep up with their work lives, their children's school lives. They don't have time, and this is what saves them in stress. You know, the irony is this is exactly what we grew up watching TV commercials tell us. Oh, yeah. stressed moms didn't have time to cook for their children. So hamburger helper to the rescue. Hamburger helper has increased sales, too. Um all these things that we sort of scorn because we care about fresh food and helping yeah. the food supply, they're back.
2: So do they have shake and bake and I help? Do you remember that when we were kids oh, shake too? Is that and back?
0: Bake. Boy, I had a lot of that.
2: You pour this crap on the <laughs> chicken or something and you shake it and then, and then you they, bake the damn thing. Yeah, you shake all it around.
1: All, what you're what you're what you're pouring on them is sodium. You're just giving the you know, salt and M S G. So if you buy a lot of salt and MSG, you can get the same thing.
2: You know, I just have to finish this thought about that. For those who think I'm making this, you know, what I would eat. I'd say three nights a week, because you know, it's the you Did know. Did you Mar- more
0: beef stew? No,
2: well, Dinty more I beef stew a with the grizzle was my second favorite <laughs> <laughs> entree because my mother worked nights.
0: Loaded with butter. I would
2: open a can of corned beef hash, which I think was for three people, and of course, I'd eat it myself. <laughs> I'd open a can of corn niblets, also like 6 million percent of your daily salt intake. I'd pour it into the pan with the corned beef hash. And that was, I was like in heaven.
0: Doesn't get much better than that, Jim. And by
2: the way, if they had corn niblets, I would have bought them the other day, too. In any case, we're talking to Corby Comer, Corby, on a much more serious note, uh, there was a Market Basket employee... Who died in Salem last week. There, I didn't know there are 3 million people who work in grocery stores around the, uh, the country. And I interviewed a woman, uh, uh, Lisa Wilson was her name, who was part of the demonstration outside the Whole Foods uh, in the South End, I guess about a week or so ago, where there was concern about the safety of supermarket employees and that sort of thing. And she worked at a I, – I assume this has changed from what an emailer told us. She worked at a Shaw's in Hyde Park, Corby, where if mm-hmm. uh, they did not issue a mask or gloves, you were entitled to wear them. You had to buy it yourself. And the generous offer by the Shaw's was if they had them in stock, they would give the employee a 5% discount, which – which, no, literally. That was in the Globe, by the way. Uh, uh, it is just – so are, are are things getting better? Are these grocery chains grudgingly realizing it's even if they don't give a damn about their workers that it is good public relations to pretend like you care about the people who work in your stores? So
1: I frankly admit to being confused by these stories because I'm tracking friends in both Washington and Boston who go to both Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and give me anecdotal reports. In, in, in the case of Washington, the Trader Joe's started mandating social distancing and limiting the number of people in stores at one time, much earlier than Whole Foods did, but Whole Foods started. But the piece in that was on the front page of today's Washington Post about fearful grocery chain workers who are getting ill and not getting protected that the Trader Joe's had been one of the worst about mm. telling at the beginning uh, its employees not to wear masks or gloves because it would freak out
2: the customers, the right?
1: Customers, yes. And so I think that I think that what we're seeing, I assume, is managers have a lot of discretion over how they're managing their work staff and, and there needs to be much more central coordination from the change about worker safety.
2: You know the guy, I have to say in the spirit of fairness here, my information is anecdotal, the guy Chris Flynn called in cold the other day, was the, I think he's the executive director of the head of the Mass Food Association and he said the vast majority of supermarkets are taking their employees' safety uh, uh, as seriously, but even if these are the outliers, the the Condition the fact that every single supermarket person does not have a mask and gloves, uh, the fact that there's not every single cashier with one of those what are they called? Sneeze guards, the plant, the plexiglass 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 thing that's which is not a preventive, but it's better than nothing. It's just, it's just the one thing the state did do, even though I don't think the number is low enough, is they announced last week, which you may know, Corby, that the Maximum occupancy of any grocery store in Massachusetts is 40% of the current mac- maximum occupancy allowed, counting both customers and staff. So, well, I think 40% is a little high. At least they're, I guess, moving in the right uh, direction. I think
1: what's, what states do and, – and one of the things the Post said was that Kroger Safeway have started providing masks and gloves – uh, Walmart is checking employees' temperatures before each shift. Again, I hope they have a plan in case somebody gets sick. And just this morning, I was seeing in the Herald that uh, Charlie Baker is saying that all grocery store and supermarket workers can get free cor- coronavirus testing.
2: Oh, good. Um,
1: and they're going to be given priority by the state as they good. ramp up as the state ramps up um, testing capacity.
2: You know, can so, I say per- one last thing about this? What? You know, we, we, we've we talked almost with every guest when we talk about rotten public policy that's yep. come to light or at least rear more of a spotlight on it, like we did with Sandro Galea about the uh, health inequities, uh, pre-existing uh, coronavirus. You know, what will be the after effect? Do you think, Corby, I know it's purely hypothesis. Do people treat those who work in grocery stores more like equal human beings than most of us did prior to this when this is over? Or is this just a short-term love affair? I
1: think we do. I hope we do. I'm an an optimist because during this whole mess, almost the only people outside of the people we're quarantining with, or if we're alone, the people we interact with are supermarket employees. That's true. So they're definitely, or CVS employees, they're the ones who are becoming the, The human beings here and it's all it's also up to cities and states to make their own policy in the in the vacuum of federal leadership and a supermarket near where we live in washington says um that the mayor of washington has decreed you cannot enter the supermarket without a mask in fact it's not true it's a good idea but um you know everybody's sort of making up their own rules as they go
0: Well, one of my favorite rules, since we all are a little bit on edge, supermarkets, of course, have playlists. You may notice them in the background as we're walking around the store. But because we're jittery, they've decided, apparently, a lot of them to knock off such fuel your jitters, hisses, Britney Spears, Toxic, and the Bee Gees, Staying Alive.
1: alive. Staying (laughs) Alive. We're not going to hear that
0: going down the cereal aisle.
1: But you know what I think it was what propelled Jim's arm to reach for that beef stew. It was the <laughs> subliminal effect of the playlist that had changed.
0: Yeah, could be. Could be. I've never noticed the BG staying alive when I was at the supermarket, but maybe it's been there and I haven't.
2: But you're not you're not supposed to notice never. those things. Stand it's environmental stuff. That's what it, it creates a mood and a feel. Isn't that true? Corby, you don't hear music. We've discussed music in restaurants when there used to be restaurants with you before. And it isn't that you hear it. It creates a feeling, a mood, right?
1: Yeah, but how many supermarkets? What I was surprised about with this story, which was an English story from Wired UK, was I, I'm not aware of playlists. In Neither am I. I'm thinking of how deeply soothed I was by... The 50s and 60s jazz and Starbucks, which, of course, they packaged into CDs that they sold at the cash register. But I liked it. It made me, me feel good. It's a perfectly okay idea, I guess, for a supermarket. But I've never heard I've never heard music in a supermarket. You know, but if we're... I don't I,
2: I'm particularly want to. More than I think about it, Marjorie, since we were praising Dr. Fauci before yeah. for his honesty, wouldn't shouldn't your supermarket be playing, I don't know, The Doors, The End or yeah. something? <laughs> Just... So we're maybe not apocalypse
0: okay. now. Or
1: I, will yeah. <laughs> I, will or I will survive. will survive. That's that a good, good one. That
2: is actually a yeah, great one. We still
0: have those bumper stickers. Somebody should do that, right? Now they could make a lot of money selling "I will survive" bumper stickers. So,
2: Corby, last thing for you is apparently just like junk food or processed food or whatever is making a huge comeback. So is I don't even know what the verb for this is when you put up things when you put vegetables and preserve, stuff preserves preserve. that people are re- returning to what their grandmothers did well i guess some people don't need their grandmothers to do it they've been doing it but the, the number of people who are preserving food for the long term is increasing dramatically yes
1: well it can i mean and that's not even a nice pun. line You're that was very good food. <laughs> it's great putting putting food by by the way is a great manual it's Uh, Easily available in used copies, putting food by, Uh, and then a guy named um, Greg West, I think, wrote uh, new books about new kinds of canning and preserves. It's been fashionable in food circles for a long time to figure out how to boil up a lot of seconds of tomatoes and cheap fruits and such, cut out the blemishes, boil it up, and put it into jars. So that it's safe and just as a little refresher, if it's got acid in it, like tomatoes, it's generally going to be safe. If it doesn't have acid, you like cucumbers, you should add some vinegar to it or lemon, but usually vinegar, so that it will stay safe because that reduces a lot of bacteria. So yeah, there's a lovely, charming piece in the New York Times about a woman whose grandmother had survived the depression. And this was really a result of poverty often. Uh, every place, as well as short-growing seasons. So if you're in Scandinavia, if you are really in the Northeast, frankly, there's three or four months of abundance, and then you're buying out-of-season food and paying a fortune for it because you can afford to. But if you couldn't and you were raising your own food, you would boil everything up and have lots and lots of shelves in your basement or wherever you could put shelves with jars of tomato sauce Jars of cucumber and, and green beans, which also need acid, by the way, just for food safety reasons. And and you would use them throughout the winter until May and June because it's a long time till there's fresh food again. But, yes, get putting food by. Get any of the new canning manuals. It's really easy. And all you have to do is buy jars and have a big spaghetti pot it can fit a lot of hot water, so you can boil water and, and boil the jars.
2: And if you don't have time for that, you just buy Chef Boyardee and put it on <laughs> the shelves, and you're pretty well, much It wasn't cupboard. Dinty
1: Moore Stew. What was your brand?
2: Dinty Moore Beef Stew and that. Broadcast Corned Beef Hash. Oh, Those are my Broadcast. two brands. Broadcast Corned yeah. Beef
1: Broadcast. Hash. I like the yeah. beef you enjoy that At one of our seders, um, a friend, our online satyrs, of course, a friend uh, told her husband to get brisket, He proudly got the last brisket in the store, and it turned out to be corned
2: beef,
1: which, of course, is a form (laughs) of brisket. It's
2: fine with me. Hey, Corby, stay well. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time.
0: Thanks, Corby. Corby joins us every week. He's the Executive Director of the Food and Society Policy Program at the Aspen Institute, a Senior Editor at The Atlantic, and a Senior Lecturer at Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition and Science. Thanks again to Corby Kummer. Coming up, uh, the governor's press conference is coming up in a few minutes. uh, But in the meantime, while we're waiting for the governor, uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit about what's going to happen if America's hero, Dr. Fauci, gets the axe. President Trump has uh, indicated in some tweets or retweeting tweets that he may not be far from giving that axe. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio.
1: I'm Arun.